us. Well, if you've been with us these uh, past couple weeks, you know we've been focusing on the three circles as an approach uh, for sharing our faith. And a big part of sharing our faith has also meant that we pray for broken people uh, in our lives. Uh, So before I read the scriptures this morning, I want to take a little time to pray for those who do not know Christ. Uh, If you were in the 945 uh, training this morning, you know that I handed out some prayer prompts. uh, And so I'm going to use a few of those, uh, the prompts that I gave you this morning in this opening prayer uh, this morning is just a model of one of the ways you might use them. If you'd like a copy of that, there's additional copies, I think, laying on the tables uh, in the fellowship hall. I can also uh, get you copies. It's just a fill-in-the-blank, uh, praying Scripture for those people who, who don't know Christ. So let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we plead that you will draw our family our friends, our neighbors, to Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, open their hearts so that they will repent and believe the gospel. We pray for opportunities to share the gospel with those on our prayer list. Give us words to speak. And we pray that they will hear the gospel and understand it and come to trust in Christ. Lord, we pray that they will understand that their only hope for forgiveness and healing is through Jesus' work on the cross. And Lord, we ask that those dear ones would not die in their sin and brokenness, but would trust you and receive eternal life. Oh Lord, come now and inspire the reading and the hearing and the understanding of your holy word so that we might have a more clear understanding of the gospel and be able to share your good news with others. This we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, this morning we're reading from 1 Corinthians 15, and it's, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. And he gives a really a very succinct definition of the gospel. He he shares with us in these texts what he's been sharing uh, with his churches. And so it's a good place for us today as we begin to, to focus on uh, what would it look like if we were to share the gospel with another person. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to read verses uh, 1 to 10. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, 
because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. I want to quickly review where we've been, uh, and I'm going to do that by walking us once again through the three circles at the beginning of the message instead of at the end of the message as I've done the past uh, two Sundays. First slide of the diagram, please, that, uh, that God has a good design, that we're, we're perfectly made, that God created everything perfect. Uh, that we're the pinnacle of creation. And when God looked at us, he declared his creation very good. And he created us to be in a relationship with him and with others. Uh, and, but we've departed from that design. And the Bible calls next slide that departure sin. And we all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. We all mess up. Next slide, this sin leads to us being broken. Uh, we're, we're, we spent a lot of our time last week on this whole thought of what it means to be broken. And we can see the effects of brokenness all around us. We, we see it in broken relationships. We, we see it in, uh, in brokenness in our work lives, that it's not the way it should be. We see it in brokenness in our everyday life, that actually we, we die. Uh, we, we no longer... Uh, live forever. The only way we can live forever, we'll get to later, but, is to trust in Christ. But we're broken, and brokenness leads to death. And none of us want to be broken, right? And so we try to fix it on our own. We, we try to find some way that we can, we can make it right. So maybe we enter into other relationships, or uh, maybe we try to work more just to, to not be lost in our thoughts, or maybe we turn to addictions, or maybe we think uh, more money or more resources, more toys might fix our brokenness. But it's in our brokenness that we begin to see that we can't fix it. And we come to know that something needs to change. Next slide. And so our brokenness can lead to us repenting and believing the gospel. Believing that Jesus is who he says he is. Repents, the Bible's word for change for confession, uh, for turning around, if you will. Uh, and the gospel of Jesus is that God sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die the death we deserve, and to be raised to life again. Jesus came to heal our brokenness. And when we trust in him, next slide, we can recover and repent and pursue God's design for our lives. And then what happens is God sends us right back out into a broken world so that we can help other people come out of their brokenness. That's the three circles presentation uh, overview. And today I want to spend the remainder of our time on the gospel portion of that presentation, just on the gospel portion of it. And I know at some level, I'm speaking to the choir, so to speak. A lot of you have heard this uh, for many years, but I want to remind us and also give us some, some take-homes, some, some discussion points so that we can help share our faith with others. 
Those of you in the, in the training this morning saw that we all need to develop some sort of brief, succinct presentation of the gospel. So, so you might just share something like if you were sharing it that, that we're all broken and we try to, to fix ourselves, but, but we can't. But the good news called the gospel is that God sent his son. He didn't leave us in that brokenness. And he sent his son to live in our world. He sent his son to, to die our death. And he truly did die. He was buried. And, and he paid for our sins. But the good news is, is that on the third day, he rose from the dead. And he, he proved that he was the Messiah by rising from the dead. And now if we will trust, if we will repent and believe, we have the hope. Uh, of, of a good life, a hope of a life in relationship uh, with God and with each other, and also we have the hope of life eternal. That's just one way uh, to, to say the gospel. There's so many other ways to, to present it, but one thing we learned this morning is we want to make sure that you share that Jesus came and he lived and that he died and that he was buried. He really died and that he rose from the dead. It's important to have all those elements in our gospel presentation. Well, I want to unpack the gospel a little bit more because what's going to happen as you share, there's surely going to be some questions. And I think uh, I'm going to spend much of the time this morning on questions about the resurrection because that's probably where you're going to get most uh, of your questions. But I want to remind us that the gospel is historical. The gospel is central and the gospel is personal. And we're going to spend much of our time on the historical part, because that's the part I think sometimes uh, people want to debate and ask questions about. And that's good. We want them to ask questions. It's not about a debate. We're not going to argue someone into the kingdom, but we can discuss that with them, right? And the first piece, we want to look at the work of Christ. And the first piece of the work of Christ is what we call the Incarnation. The gospel includes the truth that God became a man in the person of Jesus in order to carry out his plan of salvation. Our text this morning doesn't explicitly say that, but certainly it is implied. And, and we can turn to other texts like John 1 verses 1 to 18. You can use that to share with people uh, that the Bible talks about God becoming flesh in the person of Jesus. A second piece that we need to be really clear on is that, that Jesus truly lived. He truly lived our lives. Uh, again, our text doesn't explicitly say that, but it, our text does say that Jesus died. In order to die, you got to live, right? It's pretty straightforward. Further, most people aren't, don't debate the historical Jesus all that much. Most people have kind of realized there was a person named Jesus. And the Bible teaches us what we want to share, that Jesus lived in perfect obedience to God. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us that Jesus can sympathize with our every weakness because he experienced everything we experience, including our temptations, and yet he was without sin. The third piece of the historical Jesus that we want to share with people is the death of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. 
The death of Jesus, folks, is a historical reality. And he died for a purpose. He died for our sins. This happened in accordance with scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures had already foretold all that was going to happen in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Psalm 22, for example, foretells and describes the death of Jesus on a cross. Last week, we looked at Genesis 3, and all the way back in, I think it's Genesis 3, verse 19, where it talks about uh, the, 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 the child of the woman will crush your head, and you'll bite at his heel. It's already a foretelling of what Jesus will do on the cross. The Old Testament is full of pictures and images of Christ. The fourth piece we need to make sure people are clear on is the burial. Verse 4 says it very succinctly. He was buried. And the point there is that Jesus' death was no illusion. His body was treated like any other corpse of his day. It was buried. All four Gospels tell us that Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus and buried his body in a tomb. All four of them cover those details. And then the final piece of the gospel is the resurrection. Verse 4 says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The resurrection, folks, is also historical. A particular human being named Jesus Christ was on a particular day raised from the dead. Now here's where you're probably going to get the most questions. People don't question that much the life and the death of Christ. They, they too understand life and death. They've experienced it. But resurrection is another matter. But we believe that Christ's resurrection is a historical reality. Obviously, people will debate this, but others like William Lane Craig have laid before us at least four historical realities that people must explain away if they're going to deny the resurrection. These are realities that must be explained away if you're going to deny the resurrection. And he's written about it in numerous books, but in this book, On Guard, by William Lane Craig, uh, you can find, it's got a really good chapter on the resurrection and some of these realities. First, let me just briefly lay those out for you. First is the reality of the tomb. We've already talked about that. All four Gospels attest to Joseph of Arimathea burying Jesus in a tomb. Matthew's Gospel makes it very clear that Roman guards were put in front of that tomb. You can read about that in Matthew 27 and Matthew 28. And yet, secondly, the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty, and it was found empty by a group of Jesus' female followers. Listen, if the gospel writers were going to fabricate Jesus' resurrection, they would not have found, written it to have women find the empty tomb. In that day, a woman's testimony was not admissible in a court of law. In that day, a woman's testimony would not have been respected at all. If you wanted to make this up, you wouldn't make it up with women being the first to find Jesus. The only logical explanation is that women actually found the empty tomb first. Third, there were all the post-resurrection appearances. 
verses 4 to 8. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So let's unpack that a bit. Jesus appeared to Cephas, or Peter. Paul likely begins with Peter because Galatians 1.18 tells us that three years after Paul's conversion, uh, he spent about two weeks, 15 days, uh, with Peter. And so surely during that 15 days, Peter began to tell about how he saw the resurrected Jesus. And Paul began to share how he saw him as well and, and about the blinding light and how the Lord spoke to him. Jesus also, it says, appeared to the twelve. And that's the 12 original disciples minus Judas, but they were still technically officially called the 12. And we know later that Judas was replaced. Then Jesus appeared to more than 500, most of whom were still alive, so they could have confirmed or denied Paul's claim that Jesus had been raised. Jesus also appeared to James, and that's most likely James, the brother of Jesus, and that in and of itself is very remarkable because remember that neither James nor any of his siblings believed at times when Jesus was alive that he was really the Messiah. Yet another proof. Jesus also, it says, appeared to all the apostles. And that's probably a reference to all those beyond the twelve. This is probably men and women who were not numbered among the twelve, but still they were very close uh, followers of Christ. And finally, Jesus appeared to Paul. And Paul says, you know, I'm a very unlikely candidate to, to have seen the resurrected Jesus. I mean, remember, I was persecuting the church at that time. So think about that. I mean, we got a lot of evidence. We got the evidence of the resurrection that Jesus was indeed buried in a tomb, that it was guarded, yet the tomb was found empty. And he appeared to a multitude of people, including some very unlikely candidates. And then the final proof of the resurrection that I would add this morning is the reaction of the disciples. Think about it. Their leader had been condemned under Jewish law as a heretic. Their leader had been hung upon a tree, and the scriptures are clear that he cursed as anyone that was hung upon a tree. Nevertheless, they were prepared to die for their belief in Jesus as the Messiah. Why? Because he proved it by his resurrection. And the Apostle Paul, think about it, the Apostle Paul, he had it all. He was a rabbi. He was a Pharisee. He was a respected Jewish leader. He had all the luxuries of his day. But he gave it all up to follow Jesus and enter a life of poverty and strenuous labor and persecution. Here's the way Paul describes it in his own words, 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, 
Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. He also goes on to say that, that he had a lot of anxiety from his churches, but I, I didn't include that because no church has caused a pastor anxiety, right? Seriously, I can only imagine one reason the Apostle Paul endured such hardship. And the reason why the disciples endured such hardship is they experienced the resurrection of Jesus' beloved, and it was real, and it was worth dying for. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a real historical event. It's centered on the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is central to everything we do as Christians. It, it's central to everything we do as a church. Listen to verses 1 to 3 again. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I received. Paul said, I preached the gospel. You received it. You stand on it. You're being saved by it. That is, you're being sanctified. Hold fast to it, for it's of first importance. Beloved, the gospel is intended to be the power around which the rest of our lives revolve. Intended to be the power by which the central power around which the rest of our lives revolve. The gospel is historical. It's central. And now it's all, we need to also remember it's personal. Look at what Paul says in verses 9 to 10. For I am the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Beloved, the gospel is so personal that it makes a man like Paul, who had had it all by worldly standards, he had everything, but he came to understand that he's not worthy. That it's only by the grace of God that you and I are what we are, saved sinners. And because of that grace, like Paul, we seek to live our lives to the full for Christ. The gospel is personal. It's personal in that it's good news that must be reckoned with at the heart level. Each individual must decide whether he or she trusts in Christ as Lord and Savior. We must all make that decision for ourselves. I pray that you have made that decision. And if not, I pray the Lord's drawing you to Himself right now. The gospel is historical. The gospel is central. The gospel is personal. 
And repenting and believing in the gospel is the only way to fix our brokenness so that we can recover and pursue God's design for our lives. I've shared this before, but in the spring of 82, I was sitting in my dorm room at uh, NC State. And uh, like a lot of us, when we get out of high school, we, we think we're pretty smart. We think we know more than our parents. We think we know more than most of the people around us. I was one of those kids in high school. I didn't really have to crack a book to, to get A's and B's. But it wasn't too long after arriving at NC State on chemistry 101 test, I made a 36 out of a possible 100. You can pretty much figure out where that left me. My parents had gotten a little pink slip saying, Danny's not going to make it if he doesn't get his act together. And it was during that time that the Lord began to show me through the witness of others just how broken I was. Danny didn't have it together, and he never did have it together. He needed Jesus. He needed help out of his brokenness. And it wasn't about grades. It was about, well, you can't go out on Thursday night, stay up half the night when you got a test on Friday morning. It doesn't work. It was about a lifestyle, and it was about the Lord getting a hold of me. We're all broken. And we want everyone to hear that there's hope for that brokenness. That there's a chance, and it's called the gospel. It's not just a chance. It's the only way out of our brokenness. We want people in our community to, to have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. It'll be up to them whether they respond. But part of the three circles training is just for us to have one more tool that we can help people hear the gospel. We want to keep encouraging all of you to go out and to share the good news. And if you will, be vulnerable enough to share your brokenness. Be vulnerable enough to share that you don't have your act together completely and you need the grace of Christ every day. Let's go out and share that good news with people. Let's share how much Christ loves our neighbors around us. Let's pray together now and ask the Lord to give us power to do just that. Lord, we're broken. And I'd like to say that that 18-year-old boy in 82 got his act together immediately. I'd like to say that there's not still brokenness, but there is. There's times when I'm still too sure of myself. There's times when, Lord, I'm trying too hard to fix it instead of relying upon you. Or maybe others are in that place this morning. Maybe there's a place this morning of deep brokenness in our hearts. I pray, oh God, that you would enter in by the grace of Jesus. 
that you would show us that he's the only way, our only hope. Lord, I pray that you would heal our brokenness even as we sit here this morning, even as we're in our homes or maybe in our cars or maybe later this week listening in our living room. Would you heal our brokenness? We want to trust in Jesus and his grace more and more. And God, as we trust in his grace, I pray that you would send us out to share his grace with others, that you'd send us out to share the good news of the gospel, that we would enter not arrogantly but humbly into other people's brokenness and share that same good news that has saved us. Give us opportunities this week to be listeners and then to share the hope of Jesus Christ. This we pray in His holy name. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you today and forevermore. Amen.